Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. Hey, welcome gentlemen and thanks for joining us to podcast episode 95 of the Talk and Power podcast. And we have some really special guests with us tonight, Todd. I'm Nick DeCemory, this is Todd Brinkworth and we have with us all the way from Street Machine Magazine, we have with us Brand Content Director, Simon Telford, and Street Machine Deputy Editor, Scotty Taylor. Thanks for joining us, guys. G'day. Thanks for having us. Hey, I've got to be honest with you, myself, Todd, and Simon in particular, we've been very, very big fans for, for many, many years. So much so, I don't know, can you, can you guys actually see that? Look at that. Sure can. It's a very early edition, that one. Yeah, that 1983. What you very good, Telfo. Very good. It's from January '83 or December '82. So, I just thought I've been a big fan, been following it for many, Ooh. many years. I don't have a van wheels, however. I don't have the van it's wheels, a... but <laughs> anyway, I've got a, quite a few here, and we'll talk about some of those a, a, a bit later. Classics. But look, tell us. I mean, Telfo, you kicked off in the early 2000s at Street Machine. Mm-hmm. Um, you started under the legendary uh, Seto or Jeff Seddon, as mm-hmm. most people know him. Tell us how you got, got your, how you got started. Well, I was a, uh, out of school, I went into uni and become a high school teacher, taught English and history. And I never always loved Street Machine, but I never dreamed I could work on a car magazine. I thought you had to be like a Formula One driver and an ace engineer and incredible mechanic to get in. Uh, and then I, yeah was teaching for a couple of years and I saw some jobs popping up for mag- different magazines and I applied for one at uh, the old Zoom magazine and Street Commodores. So got in there, went, yep, see you later teaching. This is more fun. And discovered, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you don't have to be a complete genius behind the wheel or behind the spanner. You have to have a bit of an idea, but the most important thing is to be able to write because uh, most, go- most car guys, you know, you're either one left brain or right brain and uh, rarely are people both so it's actually hard to find people who can who can write and are interested in cars so mm, yeah and said oh poached me from there thank god no, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, that is a great story and boris when we spoke with boris a few weeks ago he's he echoed the same intimate uh, same sentiments actually how about yourself scotty how, how did you get your start wow how long have you got i mean i can talk about this quite a bit as right. long as you've, we've got plenty of time, Scotty. So you, you go knock yourself out. It's all good. I was a, a kid that grew up in the bush, screwing around with cars and guns and bikes and everything all the way through the eighties, reading street machine. And like Simon, I had no idea that I could actually have do this as a job. So I built my first car at 16, a HQ Ute. Like we had seven HQs out in the farm. I combined them into one. Cause I said to my parents, you know, uh, can you buy me a car? Well, all the parts are there. Why don't you build one? I'm like, okay, all right. So built this ute up and then got to the point of almost rego. And uh, dad said, all right, I'll take a ute and I'll buy you a Tirana. So my first registered car was a LJ two-door Tirana. So as a street machine, you know, fan from way back in the early 80s, you know, I've always been, you know, reading it from cover to cover, every issue, you know, right through. Anyway, as a job... My first major job, I guess, was a telecommunications technician working for Telstra. And so I went through that, did like, you know, I had 12 years in Telstra, 
and then got a job with another company, like a big international telecommunications corporation, earning big dollars. And I got interested in the internet and doing my own websites and stuff like that. And then starting doing little how to's on my own websites. And I knew a few people in the publishing scene, like Jason Gray, um, who was editor of Street Commodores, and then a job popped up at Zoom and Street Commodores. I went for the job at Zoom, and Simon was actually working there at the time. And um, are you guys still there? Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, here. We're, we're listening. We're in the world. Everything's quiet. I was like, are they still, are they still listening? <laughs> maybe, maybe we should move as well. Yeah. <laughs> So Simon was uh, there in the interview um, at the time. So that's where me and Simon first met, actually. Um, I didn't get that job because I wanted a little bit too much. Like, I, I was taking a ma massive pay cut even to come across. Like, I was – this is back in the early 2000s, and I was going to lose – when I finally did come across, I lost 27 grand a year in a company card and a fuel card. And like, you know, like I, it was a massive pay cut to get into publishing. Anyway, so I ended up with a job at Street Commodores under Jason Gray, who had, you know, he'd been two times uh, horsepower hero champion, mm. all that kind of stuff. Me and Jason used to do karate together back in the, you know, 90s as well. Um, so um, anyway, that's how I got into Street Commodores. And then I met Simon. Simon left, oh, I guess maybe six months. Was it six months after I started, Simon? Something like Something. that, yep. We went over to Street Machine um, and then, you know, the place where Street Commodores and everything came about was this place called Express Publications and it was a bit of a madhouse. Uh, I think me and Simon are two of the only guys that walked out there under our own steam. Everyone else pretty much got escorted from the building. It was yeah, like okay. that, that sort of place. Wow. <laughs> so I survived there almost three years and I just got to the point where, you know what, one day I'm going to get marched out the door. So I'm going to go under my own power. And I was going to go create car DVDs because car DVDs were big back in mm. like 2005. Yeah. You know, car DVDs were a big thing. So the day I left that afternoon, Simon rings me and I'm in the car with Jake, like my former boss, Jason Gray, is right beside me. Simon's talking to me and going, what are you doing Monday? And I'm like, mm, I can't remember say, but um, yeah, what have you got? <laughs> you know? So they fling me a, um, a VS Senator. to So the first of the six-litre HSV Senators had just come out. Yeah. They said, we've got this as a press car. Take a drive. Write about it. And, um, you know, see what you reckon. So... I write this story on it. I call it Super Size Me because, you know, they just upsized the LSV8 in the things. Mm. Pumped it in like the next day and Simon rings me and goes, well, Seto wants to meet you. So I'd never met Jeff Seddon at that stage. Yep. When you meet Seto, all his meetings were pretty much at the pub. So pub lunch in with Seto and he's like, well, you know, we want you to write some stuff for us. And, you know, but at that stage I'd already worked out that I was going to move out of Sydney. I'd been in Sydney for 15 years at that stage and I was kind of over the place. Um, and I'd already, we'd already basically sold our house. And I yeah. said, well, look, I can write freelance for you, but it'll be from a, like a remote location. So we moved down to Albury, Wodonga sort of area. 
and I freelanced exclusively for Street Machine from there for eight years. And mm-hmm. then that's where I also sort of kicked off my Scotty's Garage YouTube thing. And YouTube, yep. you know, freelancing was a good deal, but um, YouTube was coming on strong and we were paying our home loan off with YouTube earnings. Wow. So, yeah. And then things being what they are, uh, Bauer Media bought out ACP magazines and moved all the uh, motoring titles to Melbourne. And when I heard they were all going to Melbourne, I said to my wife, there's going to be a job offer here. Um, (laughs) How do you feel about moving to Melbourne? And I don't know if Simon even knows all this stuff. Yeah. I, I predicted this stuff way early and uh, I said, there's going to be a job offer here. How do you feel about moving to Melbourne? And she said, I'm in. And um, yeah, within a week or week and a half, Simon rings me and goes, how do you feel about moving to Melbourne? I'm saying, done, we're in. <laughs> so, moved to Melbourne and uh, yeah, full time with Street Machine since then. That was 2013, October 2013. And we've been down here seven years now and, I love Melbourne. I mean, Melbourne is a great place, a great car community. I yeah, mean, definitely. the guys are so into it down here. Like Sydney was good and Sydney has a great car scene. Don't get me wrong. But mm. Melbourne, they are insane. They will go out at the drop. of It could be pissing rain. They'll be out there in the cars. It'll be freezing cold and three degrees outside. They'll be out parked like 500 cars parked out somewhere and, you know, people everywhere. They just, they love going to events. So Melbourne people are insane when it comes to car stuff and just everything, actually. I mean, they used to go into football yeah. in the freezing rain and cold and, you know. So, yeah. So, anyway, that's how I got into Street Machine. It's a, it's a very interesting story and it's something that we'd like to ask all of our guests how they got started. For those that are listening to our podcast or watching this video, can you explain to the uninitiated... I think this magazine here, this one actually is from April, May of 1984. It's, that's actually one of my favourites. I don't know if you can mm. see that. Yep. Yeah. That, well, I was putting the engine in the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That to me, that, that magazine cover to me typifies Street Machine uh, magazine. Can you explain to the uninitiated then, Street Machine, you've been around since 1981. It's arguably the longest, one of the longest standing publications in Australian media history. Can you explain to those that are listening for the first time exactly what Street Machine magazine is? Well, Street Machine's about having fun with cars and specifically Aussie and American cars, but it's not just, you know, counting rivets or that kind of thing. It's about all the fun around them and the people behind them and exposing all the amazing people who, are super talented. It might just be some guy living in the bush who builds a super fast car or an amazing custom car. And, uh, you know, they don't get much exposure in limelight and it's our job to, to uh, show it off to the world. You know, I guess the best closest thing that people might know these days is grand designs. So that TV show where the guy, you know, takes, they want to build a big crazy house and he follows mm. them through the build and all the trials and tribulations and the ups and downs. We're just that except for cars. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
completely agree. And as I said, that, that to me, I, I actually spent most of the last week going through my old editions and they're not even at my house. They're at my mum and dad's house. Cause I haven't been at the moment and I've only been, only left home 15 years ago, but anyway, <laughs> um, and that was one of the ones when I was going through the lot, I said, I've got to, I've got to take that one with me and show, show the guys that because to me, that is what, to me anyway, what typifies mm. street machine. The other cover I want to share with you is actually that one there that I showed you before as mm. well. Simon, now Simon that is, found that one quite interesting. That mm. that would have been one of the, especially back in that day, one of the only magazines that didn't have a Ford or a Holden on the front of it. So that, that one's actually got a Datsun and a, and a Chrysler. So can you talk us through like the perception has been that street machine is generally uh, GM or, or Ford, but that's not not always the case, is it? No, definitely not. And people, you know, they say, oh, you should do more four cylinders or rotaries. Well, back in the day, people forget in 84, 85, 86, they f we featured a lot of, before there was a mag like magazines like Fast Fours and Rotaries, we were featuring those cars and, you know, test driving new Cordias and stuff like that when they came out. So there's always been that broad church, but yeah, V8s and 6s are what we're about. Mm. But uh, we've always been open to Escorts and Geminis and, you know, Things like that. And of course, you know, back in the day, we had a couple of valiants on the cover and then we had about 30 years off before we put another valiant on the cover. <laughs> but since then, we've had a few and uh, maybe yeah. even in the last couple of years, we've had a, a couple. That, that particular magazine I just showed you, that actually did test drive uh, Mitsubishi Colt. <laughs> yeah, there, you there you go. It's a was Mitsubishi it a Colt. Colt 45, was it? Well, you've got to think, back then, people thought petrol was going to run out in the next couple of years. Mad Max was probably going to happen for real. Uh, V8s were dying. Like, Ford had stopped putting V8s in Falcons in 1982 or so. Holden, you know, almost stopped putting them in Commodores until we had the V8s to 98 campaign. So they had to look at turbo Colts and ET turbos and Cordias because there may not have been V8s to go on with. Yeah. How yep. big were Cordias back in the 80s? Like, 84, 85? Mitsubishi Cordias were just insane. Like, you know, though the cop cars, the cops were using them as, mm. you know, pursuit mm. cars and stuff like that, you know. So you yeah. see one, like, you don't see them anymore, you know. And when you do see one, you go, oh, Cordia, man, I haven't seen one in a while. Same with Starians, too. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. yeah. No, definitely, definitely. So, guys, talk us through then, I guess, the 80s. Where, where the magazine goes from, um, it's an inaugural editor, um, Jeff Paradise. He mm -hmm. hands over to Phil Scott. And Phil, like at this stage, the magazine is really hoiking along at this point. And you, you subscribe, you're actually starting to outsell Will's magazine, which I think is an amazing feat, really. Um, back in the day, you actually gave away on two two occasions, an A9X Tirana and an XY GT. HO, phase three, am I, was that correct? Gave away HQ for you, which is our first big giveaway. Um, the HQ Monaro and then an A9X with like, I think it had 19 miles on the clock when we gave yeah. it away. And I think that car is in Western Australia now. Okay. Uh, GTHO, they put a fuel injected five liter in an XF Falcon. I know where that car is and a whole ton of cars. Um, Sony Scorcher. Oh, that was much later. Yeah. I mean, this is the day, A, we had cigarette advertising. So yeah. we only did nine issues a year back then Yeah. because <clears throat> Jeff Paradise, apparently, when they said, oh, why don't we do 12? The, the management said, why don't we do 12? He thought, I don't want to, for the money I'm getting, I don't want to do 12. I just want to do nine. <laughs> so he told them, no, there's not enough cars out there. And um, that's why they did nine for years and years and years. 
Yeah, okay. No, I think it's uh, back in the day, like I, I saw some figures on a, on a website. I don't know mm. if it's reputable enough, but yeah, outsold wheels for, for a considerable t- amount of time. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple and, of, um, sorry. I was say, and uh, following on from that, like, well, Nick was saying it has sort of a lot of issues. I think I started reading it back in the late 80s and I still have a few kicking around at home. And I know I'm primarily a four cylinder person. But I always have a special place for a lot of street machine sort of issues yeah. in my uh, my collection. One thing for me though was I really thoroughly enjoyed when you guys started covering a bit more of summer nets. Like yeah. especially over here, it a few of my mates and I, we were young. We, it was one day we'll go to summer nets. I haven't quite yeah, made yeah. it yet. I came very close, but yeah, one day I'm gonna make it over there. So yeah, yeah can you tell us a bit more about that? So uh, street Machine was involved sponsoring the Street Machine Nationals in the in the uh, the sort of mid eighties mm. uh, when it was run by the uh, Street Machine Federation. And uh, Chick Henry decided to take it pro and make summonats, and we we helped fund the burnout pad, so we uh, um, helped get it off the ground as the and have been the naming rights sponsor ever since. And um, yeah, love summonats, and uh, you know, formative part of my childhood is. <laughs> Yeah. standing on North Point Avenue and watching these cars go past with these insane people, you know, all over the shop. It's uh, yeah, that certainly had an effect on my small brain when I was uh, a teenager. Yeah. But tell us guys, I mean that you're the name in, when we say summer nets, we think street machine. When we say street machine, invariably we also think summer nets. So the brand association there is really tight now. And I think your association is from back in 1988, the second event. The first event, yeah. yep. Oh, no, we, first one. From from the very first event, like we we funded that burnout pad, yeah. So, oh, so wow. they could so they could do. Prior to that, they did the burnout comp just on a piece of road within the within Natex, and then mm-hmm. we put in the money for the burnout pad and got it off the ground, and the whole thing professionalised. And um, they started doing the, uh, I think they'd already started doing the VHS tapes, mm-hmm. but that was a massive thing. The brute horsepower. Uh, yeah. Don't know if they made their way to Western Australia, but most uh, video shops over this side had a very well-worn copy of Brute Horsepower One to. Yeah, no, that was that was available here yeah, as well. I remember it as well. Yeah, yeah, that was certainly available <laughs> here. Yeah. Yeah, I was yep. burning out some boobs as well. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that made it here too. Don't yeah. worry about that. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> well, people, actually, people sorry, still think. Yeah, people still think that Street Machine owns summonats and have for a long time. It's weird. You know, you talk to people and like, oh, you guys should change this and change that. I'm like, it's not our show. What are you talking about? It's like they think Street Machine owns summonats and always has, but, you know, it's never been the case. But, hmm. uh, you know, again, as a country kid, I used to read Street Machine, what, looking at summonats and going, oh, my God, this is amazing. And when I finally, you know, was old enough to get up and have my own cars and stuff and get down there. I got down there straight away. I think I've done, I did seven as in, I think the first one was seven, the year of the riot, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then I've done 25 of them consecutively since then. Wow. So, yeah, that's yeah. incredible. That is, that is a good effort. That is a good effort. Well, just t- changing gear a little bit. You talked about uh, burnouts and blowers, burnouts and, and uh, boobs. I want to talk about, Let's go back to August of 2000. And um, at the time, said I, he did something a little bit different. He was tipping his toe in the water, so to speak. We're putting girls on the front cover of, um, of a street machine. This actual edition, I ended up with the, 
the wrong one, but anyway, that's the one I ended up with. But talk <laughs> us through that August 2000 edition because that was one of the only, or the first edition from my understanding that had a different front cover. It had two, you had two front covers and, and Seto was, was, a, was basically a test. We had Imogen Bailey with Jim Rowley's Commodore on one cover and we had just the plain, just the plain Commodore, or sorry, no plain Commodore, but just the plain cover with Jim Rowley's Commodore on its own on another. Can you talk us through that? What, what was, how, I mean, progressing on from that, how, how did that, that, go yeah i guess in the early days of street machine they mucked around with having girls on the cover here and there but it was you know not something that really stuck and they didn't have a lot of budget back then either so in the early 2000s there was the era of the lad mags so you had fhm and uh ralph so seto was the founding editor of ralph who's the guy that started that magazine up so he came from that you know he'd worked in motorcycle magazines and then went to ralph and he'd always use Street Machine as his template with other magazines. Like, I'm going to do it the way they do it. And then he finally ended up being the editor of Street Machine. And he had this Ralph experience. But, you know, it's a big investment every month to have a girl on the cover. And he, could, he knew from Ralph that if he had the right girl, the sales went up. Mm. And it was probably a worth, could, could have been a worthwhile investment. But, you know, hair, makeup, you know, talent fees, photography. And, of course, you know, working with models and cars is tricky yep. like it doesn't always come off so i thought okay before we dive into this and commit to it let's run a test and we'll send say half the country you know maybe queensland and new south wales can get just the car and the rest of the country can get imogen and the car and the result was zero difference it didn't make oh, any really? difference at all wow so the same amount of people bought it no matter what so there's no point investing the money in in uh, cover girls mm. that said uh, for a long time Every February, when we had the Summonats report, we'd put Miss Summonats on the cover. Yep. Uh, as part of to promote that part of Summonats, and um, and yeah, that was a good thing for a long time. Yeah, it's not like they picked an ugly girl either. I mean, Imogen back then. I mean, she's still attractive, but uh, yeah. she was mega hot. Like yep. you couldn't have picked a better girl for nope. the cover. Um, I think I'm here right now. <laughs> I'm just trying <laughs> to fix through. Yeah, but yeah. She was um, she was amazing. So yeah, it's not like they um, they uh, picked a bad girl or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, all right. <laughs> it was a cutie. It was it was at the height of her powers, no doubt. Back in two thousand, I remember, yeah. and she was starting to get some acting gigs after that as well. So yeah, but I remember she was I involved in Hot Force too. She did a lot of Hot Force covers too. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, Scotty, I've got another one. I've got one for you now. This, I, when I say drag challenge, I, I, that's kind of your, your thing in my view anyway. You're the, the front man for drag, drag challenge. Um, that's, that's starting to become a huge uh, draw card across, across the nation in my view. Um, once this COVID's gone past and we're finished through COVID nineteen, what are what are some of the what are the some of the future plans you've got lined up for Drag Challenge? Well, we've got you know Drag Challenge weekend coming up in Queensland end of November, it's twenty seventh to 29th of November. So we're doing a Drag Challenge Queensland uh, weekend event, so just a three dayer. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're hoping the borders borders between Queensland and New South Wales will be open by then. So we'll in, and New South Wales people seem pretty pumped to get up to that and hopefully you know maybe we'll get some from South Australia and that as well. Victoria we're screwed we we're not going to make it so um, 
but you know we've got we've got big plans actually we've got a few things lined up i don't know how many i can talk about <laughs> with the box right there um that's all right but, but let's let's talk let's... about actually you know drag challenge you know so like i said before i started full-time with street machine october 2013 and i said to simon we need to do our own version of drag week like this is this needs to happen and simon's gone all right make it happen plan it out let me know how much it's going to cost and whatever you make it happen and we'll you know if it looks like the money works we'll do it you know so i think we did our first one was it april 2014 simon something like that um no it would have been no it was because we just uh chris and i chris thoroughgood oh, and right. i we had just, just yes, driven to uh, the middle of our back uh, New South Wales to give out the street machine year the year trophy, which is generally in October or November. Yeah. Then we drove back from uh, there, got caught in a snowstorm. We had to sleep in the ute because we got snowed out and rocked up yeah. at uh, Sydney Dragway ready for the first ever drag challenge, which was yeah, kind of a under the, under the radar type event. We didn't publicize it. We weren't sure how it was going to go with the cops. Everybody was, the reason nobody's ever done this before is we, you know, it was like, oh, you'll get shut down, the cops will shut you down. Mm. So we just put out the word quietly and we got 18 people from Victoria and New South Wales. I don't think we, oh no, we had a guy who drove down from Cairns in his Centura. Yep. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like right. a uh, Lexus V8 Harrop yeah. supercharged Centura, <laughs> drove it down from Cairns, did drag challenge, then went and did a burnout comp, I think, that year. And then drove it home like a madman, a yeah. total legend. It was like nine and a half thousand Ks or something. I think he did total that trip mm. and like did burnout comps, did drag challenge, did the whole thing. And it was, you know, we ran it kind of weird in that first time that it was actually very much like the first hot rod drag week in that the first hot rod drag week started at one place and finished at another place. Mm. So everyone had to drive back to their tow vehicles, you know, yep. at the end of it. And we did the kind of the same thing. We started in Sydney, ended up at Heathcote, and, you know, all the guys that left their gear at, you know, Sydney had to drive all the way back to Sydney, you know, so all the Queenslanders. Well, mm. I mean, there was only, I think, Terry, Terry oh, yeah. and Brenton, the Queenslanders. Right. But, um, you know, yeah, a lot of the Sydney people had to drive, you know, they did the entire event and then had to drive all the way back to Sydney, you know, straight after it. So, you know, instead of it just being like a, you know, a thousand K journey, it ended up being, you know, 2,200 Ks. I think most of them did, you know, that first year. And, uh, and as Simon said, everyone told us it was never going to happen. It was always going to be shut down. You, you won't do drag week in Australia. Even I even talked to David Freiberger about this at drag week in 2015. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned to him that we did our own drag and he said, you can't do it in Australia. You haven't got enough tracks. I said, dude, we've already done it. You know, yeah. and then yeah. they kind of discovered that, you know, yeah, we were doing our own thing. And uh, yeah, they've been actually, you know, quite supportive of us, you know, um, doing our own version of drag week. They were actually very happy. We didn't call it drag week. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, they're, um, they've been quite supporters and they're very happy to have us at drag week when we go over there and cover the event for Australia. Mm. You know? So, yeah. And Hot yeah. Rod Magazine have been out here to cover our event as well, which is yeah, yeah. Okay. But the other thing I want to talk about in terms of drag challenge and, and drag week, I guess, um, 
from I know it's it's hard on the competitors. It's hell. I mean, it's a tough it's a tough three, four, five days, six days. But even for you guys as well. I mean, we've spoken with Luke Newhoff before on the podcast, yeah. and it is one hell of a like he. So you're filming during a day or getting content, I guess. And then at night, when you're traveling to the next track, you're on the laptop or Luke's on the laptop or whoever's on the laptop cutting up video, putting the soundtrack over it, getting all the audio in as well. It's a massive task because I'm sitting there the next day watching the video and it's only from the previous day, which I think is amazing. I don't know how we do it. Luke is amazing. He's, Luke and Matt Ricky are two of our main video guys over the years and they, I don't know how they do it. They're just uh, Luke actually did a road trip with Mark Arblaster across America. They started in mm. in uh, started in Vegas. Yeah. Drove in Mark's hardtop all the way to the start of Drag Week. Luke's sitting in the back, full roll cage, shooting, editing the videos in a what you know thousand horsepower Valiant with like no carpet in it, like in you know forty five degrees heat, editing this video, and it's amazing. It's just. They're such talented guys and so dedicated, but um, we've kind of wised up a bit. Like we just re- relied on our youthful uh, you know, energy the first few years, but yeah. the last couple of years we've got a motorhome. Yep. So I can be like uh, Clark Griswold and drive the car and the, <laughs> the photographers and the video guys are in the back editing away. And that's, that's improved things a little bit. Yeah. The guy we hired the, um, sorry, the guy we hired the uh, motorhome off last time, he had a GPS tracker in it yeah. and he's, you know, watching it to make sure you don't speed or you don't go to somewhere you said you weren't going to go. And he was freaking out because we're barreling along at 130 at three in the morning. And he's like, my <laughs> beautiful motorhome is going to get wrecked. They're going to hit a kangaroo. Yeah. But that's what you need to do to get it done. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I love that that product. I really do, and I think it's a testament to your team as well. I really do. I, I enjoy the, the week that when you're doing a drag challenge, and you know, there's a lot of views, and and we really appreciate the hard work you go guys go to. The Auto One Customer Loyalty Program, the Auto One Club has been designed to provide privileges to loyal customers. Head on over to www.auto1.com.au and click on the club membership tab or alternatively head into your local Auto One store and ask about the benefits that come with being a loyal Auto One club member. While you're in the store, be sure to check out Auto One's extensive range of impact automotive garage tools, floor mats and coolant. The Impact Automotive range offers quality products at affordable prices. From a 3-ton heavy-duty trolley jack to an adjustable mechanic seat, the Impact Automotive range has a garage tool that will suit your needs. The range has also well over 20 different types of floor and boot mats to suit your ride. They come in rubber or fabric with a PVC backing to stop slipping. Also in the range is an extensive choice of coolant. Whether it be pre-mixed or concentrate, the long life range of red and green Impact Automotive coolant is bound to have a product that suits your needs. To view the full range of Impact Automotive products, head on over to www.auto1.com.au or visit one of their stores. Auto One is committed to bringing you the brands you know and trust at great prices. Coupled with their team's knowledge and experience, Auto One, it's the one. One of the things that as well, I guess 
while we're here, Scotty, this is probably your thing, the Carnage product. Let's talk about the Carnage, the, the product itself. And I'm really, really interested in this. Boris tells us in, in the podcast we did with him, it looks like a pretty elaborate production. Like I, my view of it was that you had about 10 guys behind you, behind the camera doing all this. But that's, that, that's actually not the case, is it? It's just yourself and, and, and Ken. Is, is that right? Right. Me and Ken, most of the time, like obviously during these last, you know, eight weeks of lockdown or whatever, I've been locked here in the shed basically with the Valiant and just trying to pump out content by myself. So I'm doing, I'm trying to film and edit and do everything work on the car right here. But even when we're in the workshop, it's just me and Ken most of the time. Occasionally we get one of our um, video crew in to help, but uh, most of the time they're shooting TV shows and stuff like that. So they haven't really got the time to come in and film us. So yeah, most of the time it's just me and Ken. That's what, I'd like to get Ken in front of the camera more, but he's got to be there holding the camera while I'm doing stuff. You know, and he's a good kid. He, he He's learning and he, uh, he's he got pretty good car knowledge anyway. Yeah. Um, I'd love to get him more in front of the camera and uh, doing more with a car and um, I'm trying to teach him you know, stuff along the way as well. But, uh, you know, we've got some good cars and I'm, I just, I miss my babies. I want to go back to the shed <laughs> and work on some of these cars. Like, uh, That's the thing. Know, the Trolvo is just waiting for a transmission. Simon's actually building us a transmission for the Trolvo. So, okay. And, um, yeah, that's – I can't wait till we get that together. Uh, MX-5's got, you know, a, a new green top in it and we just put uh, the turbo from Turbo Taxi on it, so it's going to make some pretty good horsepower. Okay. Um, I'm just waiting for a drag strip to open up so we can take the MX-5 down it with the with the barrow in it. Yeah, yep. That'll be insane. Yeah. So tell us, Scotty, then, or, or Telfo, who who comes up with the ideas? Because when I when I look at the Carnage product, I think some most of those products, ninety percent of those products that you've done or built over the over the period, they're, they're tangible products for the masses, aren't they? They're not just like things left the field that we see on on roadkill that are probably arguably, oh, I don't think I'll ever do that. You know what I mean? The stuff that you you guys are actually doing, in particular, Rustolium, the the Valiant. Um, that one to me strikes a bit of a chord because I've got an old Falcon myself and, and a lot of the work that you're doing on that car, I probably couldn't do, but it, it's someone that was a little bit more mechanically minded than myself could probably have a crack at, at what you're doing there. So how do you come up with these, these, these ideas? You want me to take that one, Simon? I, would, I, will, I will let you do, I would say it's half <laughs> planning, but half, it's just like normal it is just like normal life. We're just a few goons who are making this up as we go along and mm. shit goes wrong and it just, things don't turn out the way you plan them. And it's, it is, you know, we, it's not a kind of car show where it's scripted and there's drama and we have arguments between Scotty and Ken and Telfo. We do have arguments, but they're not scripted. They just happen. Yeah. Mostly, just mostly off camera. And <laughs> it just, things work out and shit doesn't always go the way you want it to go. And cars have always have more rust in them. You think they're going to go <laughs> and engines always go the best before they blow up. Yeah. And uh, you know, so no, just, you know, it's not, it's not highly planned. <laughs> yeah. 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 So when, when we kicked off carnage, um, it all started me and Toff having kebabs at lunch, basically our Suvas, Suvalakis in Oakley, you know, at lunchtime. And he, he was keen to, 
us for to do start doing some video stuff um, like car builds and that. And, you know, I come up with the name Carnage. And our first idea, I said, well, what, you know, why don't we do something that's kind of iconic, Melbourne, you know, get a taxi, turbocharge it. And that's how Turbo Taxi come about. So it was like, you know, we'll turbocharge a taxi, keep on an LPG. I talked to Jason at Tunnel Vision and he said, yeah, it's, you know, it's possible. And um, so, you know, we did this taxi over a couple um, like the first four episodes of Carnage were all turbo taxi and it was a, just a struggle. And it was a struggle for me actually, because I'd been off the spanners for a couple of years, to be honest, I hadn't touched the car seriously in that way for probably three years. And it really shows in that early, those early couple of videos that I was like, and certainly nothing as late model was an FG Falcon, you know? Mm. And I was like, I struggled. It took me three days to do the first engine swap in that taxi. Yeah. And it was just, oh my God, it was so painful. I'm like, there's so many wires. I'm used to working on these Valiants, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so many wires and so many things going on. So anyway, we did turbo taxi and that, you know, sort of, that was very well received. Uh, we had this crazy idea about doing a Mazda. We were going to do a Mazda 121 bubble car with an LS in it uh, as a burnout car. And uh, we kind of promised we we're going to take this thing to Red Centre Nats. And it got three months out from Red Centre Nats. And we still hadn't bought a car. It still hadn't started anything. And I said it to, and this, I, I was um, scrolling through Grays online and I just went, uh, this MX-5, this beaten up MX-5 popped up. I said to Telf, we should buy this. This thing is amazing. We should get it. It's going to be cheap as shit. Uh, let's buy it. And it's already real drive, so it'll be easy to do this conversion and all mm. that sort of stuff. And, you know, guys have been putting LSs into MX-5s already. So, yeah, it should be fun. Um, so, we, we Telf buys the thing. We peer pressure Telf into buying it. <laughs> <that night. laughs> online, just online. And no one had seen On the, the car. Front. No one had actually physically seen the car. He just bought it online, um, $1,700, I think it was, which was pretty cheap for an MX-5, but it was beaten up and it was just, it was mouldy and it, I think it had been underwater at some point. It, was, it mm. wasn't it was a very good car. Um, so, and then we got, you know, a few guys to like, um, all race fabrications helped us out with tubbing it and putting some frame rails in it, doing the engine plates for the LS. Johnny Pillar helped us out with the uh, LS build. We, we supplied him all the parts and then he helped put it all together. And, and um, you know, GCG turbos, you know, supplied us a couple of turbos and Plasman gave us an intake. And, you know, it all came about in that last, it was the last 12 days, the car was a bare shell. And then 12 days of just hectic, hectic, build, 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 build. We got this thing together. Three o'clock in the morning, me and Telf leave Melbourne and drive 28 hours straight oh. to Red Centenax. We, we just shift drove the entire way. Someone slept, someone drove, someone slept, someone wow. drove. We just didn't talk to each other the entire trip because it was one sleeping, one driving. And it was like <laughs> 28 hours straight just to make it there in time. That's I had the uh, first shift. So I yes. got to the servo. I got some nodos. And I got some coke because we've been having late nights in the lead up to this. Yeah, yeah. So I had my nodos, had my coke, and uh, I'm driving along and we get over the, the gateway. And I say to Scotty, I don't think this stuff is working. 
I'm really sleepy. Maybe you'll have to drive. And he goes, you have not shut up since we left. You have been talking a mile a minute since, the, since we pulled out of the driveway. Went, oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I'll pull over. And the, what made all this harder is we didn't have a workshop at that point. So it was only yeah. the kindness of these other people to help us. Oh, course, yeah. The guys at MBW who let us, uh, gave us the run of their workshop and gave us a heap of help. And, and uh, yeah, without those guys, we certainly wouldn't have got that project done or some of our other projects. So big yeah. thanks to them and everybody who uh, we flew at, flew down Ian, Ian Kelly down to uh, help us, give us a chop out. Yeah. yeah. We, yeah, somehow we made, and somehow when we got it to Red Center, that's that it passed scrutineering because the whole point of Red Centenats is you can drive these cars in the street. Mm. So we had this car, the bonnet, I don't know if you've seen the bonnet, there is that much gap and about that much bonnet. Yeah. Turbos at the bonnet. And they, yeah, they let us drive it around Alice Springs. They let us drag race it. And the thing <laughs> was like finished in the car park, you know. The story of the bonnet was um, I wasn't even going to put a bonnet on this car, actually, because it was, like I said, it was, yeah, we left at 3 o'clock in the morning. It was midnight, I think. And uh, or past midnight, and I said to Toph, "We haven't got time to do a bonnet for this thing. I just, you know, we need to get on the road." So we ring up the Summonats guys who are already up there. They're at the casino at past midnight, and uh, and I said, "Dude, do we need a bonnet for this thing?" I, you know, look, I've got the Department of Transport person right beside me. Yes, you got to make your best effort. I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> so we got the Mazda bonnet and I cut the entire guts out of it. It had like three inches around the entire bonnet and the rest of it was gone. The entire centre section was gone. So I'd cut it out, I sent him a photo of me holding this. It was like a piece of bread that you'd cut the entire section. <laughs> right, there's your bonnet. It's on the car. We're coming. And, you know, like I said, we're on the road. We hit the servo, bought a heap of E85 and just drove 28 hours straight and just... Yeah, and they we rocked up and they looked at it and they were like, "Oh my God, are we actually going to let this thing on the street?" They, they were, they they actually said to us, "You guys are the new standard of like this is the limit." You know, last year, <laughs> Mad Sam, Mad Sam was the limit last year. This year, it's you guys. This we don't go any further past this. So, and that car was amazing. We we took it down the drag strip and you know had a blast. It didn't like, we had heaps of you know, just little build issues, as you do with new cars. Uh, the wastegates were kind of at the wrong angle, so they weren't working ro- properly. So uh, mm. we had to take the wastegates completely off because they weren't, with the wastegates on, it was boosting too high. So with the wa- with wastegates off, no wastegates, just open ports before the turbos, <laughs> it was making 10 pounds of boost. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> venting straight the atmosphere. And... Um, you know, we took it out, ran low 11s and, you know, had fun. And then, you know, uh, the boys, t- I went to the States a couple of years later and they took it while I went to the States and they ran 990 with it. Like the car's gone nines. Yeah. You know, so. Um, the most yeah. reliable part of that whole car is the all fast talking better. And yeah. Oh, there you go. And <laughs> power glide. has been amazing. Has been the only part of the car that, uh, you know, I shouldn't say that. Uh, no, it's the def- definitely the best part of the out. car. The transmission has never come out of that car. Like even when I did the barra conversion, I left it bolted in and just put the barra up to the front with a new bell housing. The mm. transmission's never come out of the car. Pretty much everything else has been changed in that car. The transmission has never replaced, been replaced. And uh, someone did an amazing job on that. That was, yeah, 
because it has copter pounding, not just drags like uh, our friend Bubba has drifted it around Simmons Plains, and he okay. does not have much mechanical sympathy. Yeah. So it's done you very watch, well. If you haven't up. seen that video, you need to watch it. You need to watch Bubba linking corners with that. Because like, the car's are an 89-inch wheelbase, something yeah. like that. It's like the, it's, it's got a shorter wheelbase. Like, as I said, we're going to build a 121. A 121 has a longer wheelbase than a Mazda MX-5. Oh, it wow. is. Okay. Yeah. It has a very short wheelbase, and that car is very easy to get wrong. And uh, Bubba was up there linking corners with this thing, just crazy cranks sideways with it, like just, you know, I think it was making 500 horses at the tyres at that stage, and he's just got it lit up going around Simmons Plains, which has some very, very tight bends, and yeah. just you have it sideways up under the pedestrian bridge, and you're just <laughs> like, we're going to die, but it was yeah, so much fun. That is the essence of carnage, isn't it? I mean, that's what I when I that's what I like about the, the product itself, carnage, and that's that's what I think attracts us viewers to it is the fact that it's it is it is raw, it's not scripted, and and some of these projects that you do are I, I view as as tangible. You know, I, I don't think they're there's silly or unrealistic projects. So you know, that's that's what we know, and certainly myself, that's what I, I like about the product. Yeah, I was about to add. Um... My mates have actually commented to me. I was saying, oh, I'm talking to the street machine guys tonight. And they're like, no, you're not. And I'm like, I am. But anyway, they've learned stuff about building XR6 Falcons. Like, they've mm. sort of watched your videos and going, oh, wow, Scotty's right. Yep. And done stuff. Um, also, the MX-5 Club at WA, 50-50 on the MX-5, uh, all right? Like, <laughs> I've got some good yeah. friends in the MX-5 Club and... You got 50-50, so I'm pretty impressed with that. It's pretty good odds. Yeah, but um, I mean, while we're talking about the Carnage product and that, Street Machines seem to sort of, well, I almost say hit a gold mine in the digital market. I know I can't wait for the videos to come out. Like, I sit there glued to YouTube and go, oh, Street Machine, let's watch this. Like, yeah, talk us through how, how it just came, well, it's come about, but just pure luck or... Well. <laughs> I think it's Scotty's, Scotty's experience when, like, he started shooting video before it was digital. So he was shooting yeah. on tape. Yeah. So he's got all that years of experience before we even started, before people, before this was a thing. Uh, I think that stood us in really good stead. And then just dedicating the resource to it, going, Scott, you don't need to work in the magazine, you know, five days a week anymore. You just go and do this video thing as much as you can, and we'll give you whatever support we can. And yeah, you've got to put the time in. It's video is yeah. so time intensive. Um, you can't, just, you can't, it, you can't half ass it. Yeah, the other part of it is like, you, yes, you got to film the stuff, but you actually got to build the cars as well. And that's what <laughs> yeah. people don't understand. It's like they they think, yeah, there's this team behind me of yeah. ten people or whatever, as you said. But yeah, we're filming this stuff, but at times we've got to puzzle through and actually make this shit happen. And um, you know, it is, it's, it gets insane. It gets intense. Like we did that um, Mr. Dodgy prep Phoenix to take to um, the running on empty cruise mm. up at Cobar. And again, that was just one of those cars that, um, you know, like it probably is a little bit under underappreciated in the carnage viewership. Um, it probably didn't get the numbers that we were hoping, but it did all right. And that was, again, it was just a rolling project 63 phoenix that we we found at an auction site we thought we picked it up really cheap like and 1200 bucks or something yeah oh, really really like had no motor 
Yeah. And it, and but yeah. it had no rust in it. That's the thing. It's a, it was a 1963 car with not a skerrick of rust in it. And I'm like, this thing is amazing. Yeah, let's get it, put a 440 in it. And then, you know, the running on empty crews popped up, uh, run by our mate, Benny Hewlett. And um, with Benny, we're going to take this car up there. So, we, again, it was one of those things we finished it that morning and, you know, drove, jumped in it and drove it. Or was it 900 Ks each way to Cobar through the kangaroos and the whole thing? And it was just an amazing cruise to take mm. that up. You know, well, you made it about little... you made it about five Ks. Oh, then the then another time. five Ks. Yeah, and then another five Ks. Yeah, the electronic ignition, the ballast resistor crapped out on us, and it would heat up and then go open circuit every oh, yeah. couple of Ks. And um, until I. I, I kind of, I'm trying to chase it. Like I had the fuel tank out of the car at one point on the side of the road. I had the fuel tank <laughs> the trying to puzzle through why, why this thing keeps dying every couple of Ks. And then I looked at the ignition. I'm like, hang on, we've got a ballast resistor in this, but it's got electronic ignition, like a, a built-in MSD module in the, and I'm like, I don't even need a ballast resistor for this thing. Disconnect, bang. And she drove, she didn't stop. It just kept going. Like, we were almost ready to pull the pin on the entire trip. It got to that point. We'd stopped eight times or something before we got out of Melbourne. Yeah. And I was like, I was ready to just go, you know what? I'm going to park this thing and who cares if anyone steals it? They're not going to get far. <laughs> and, and we, um, but yeah, once we fixed the ballast resistor issue, it just, it didn't stop, you know? And, uh, mm. but that's, that's cars and people, I do cop a little bit of flack from people going, oh, God, you guys screw a lot of things up. I'm like, um, hello, have you ever had anything to do with cars? Like, this happens to everyone. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly, 100%. And it's right. always, we always push it to the time-wise because we've got other stuff to do. This isn't yeah. something we do, even though Scotty dedicates most of his time to it. Yeah, it's not a full-time thing where we're working on the cars. There's editing and shooting and mm. all the other stuff. So it's always to the last minute. It's always just, you know, just yeah. together. So there's always going to be dramas. But the great thing about that project is it shows you could build a big block American 60s car for pretty cheap. Like, mm. you know, what do we reckon yeah. we spent on that? Uh, I think at Otis, honestly, I think it was like 2025 at the end, which, you know, like, it sounds like a lot of money for an old Dodge, but not really. When you're talking about big block American body car, you know, that's not that's, actually a lot of money, you know. Yeah, so Yeah, good. You know, that's a new motor, new trans, all new brake. Um, yeah, that was like new wheels, tyres, you know, we put all new suspension in it. Like it was, and it was a bit of a, yeah, yeah, we bust our asses to get it done in time. But mm. it's such a fun car and I, it's, I'm, sh- like, I'm kind of... <laughs> Uh, I'm still sad that it's parked up the back of the shed, uh, the Carnage Garage, because we did a we did a cam swap at Motorex a year ago. It was a year ago or two years now? It's been a while since it's been a Motorex, isn't it? Um, and we did a cam swap at Motorex, and it all went well until we fired it up, and it was running good and running good, and then it died halfway back to the workshop. And we found that, you know, and this is something that happens a lot, and it's happened to the roadkill guys a couple of times as well too. It happens a lot these days with flat tapper cams. They grind the lobes off. And yeah. uh, it happens, yeah, because there's not the zinc in the oil that there used to be. And, yeah, we just 
the lobes all came off the cam and yeah, all went all through the motor. So yeah, we've got to put the mm. yeah, we've got to sort of pull the four forty. We've pulled the four forty down. We just got to get around to put them back together. But uh, yeah, it's a bit of a shame because we put aluminium heads in it, a hot cam, and this thing it was it sounded amazing until it didn't. Well, speaking of putting engines together and, and the real technical stuff, I want to just change it up a little bit. I'm going to say a couple of names here. Bob Copmel, William Porker, Mark Arblaster, Victor Bray. Look, and, and I'm, sure I've missed, I'm sure I've missed a number of uh, regular contributors there that have regular columns in the magazine. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Bob's been there since day one or very close to day one? Very, probably even... He may even go back to the Van Wheels days. He went off and, and, and did uh, went to Performance Streetcar for a while yeah, when uh, Paro was running Performance Streetcar. But yeah, Bob has been there for a very long time. We've had to put pause on his column for a while during COVID. Um, mm. The same for Victor because, um, yeah, times are tough and we've just had to rationalise what we'd do for a while. But uh, yep. yeah, they're a very big part of the magazine and um, so much knowledge and people write to us all the time saying, can Bob tell me how to fix this? Or what does Bob think about that? And uh, yeah, he's always happy such to help nice people. Guy too. Bob yeah. is such a nice guy. He's yeah. just a real gentleman. I love Bob. He's yeah. And he loves drag challenge too. He loves coming down oh. like drag challenges on. Bob will just rock up. We won't even know he's coming and he'll just rock up down there. He rode his bike from, you know, up there and way up in Queensland and yeah, he'll just ride down and come and check out Drag Challenge, and all, you'll turn around and Bob's there, and you're like, "Hey, Bob, how are you going?" He's like, "Oh, you know." <laughs> and, you know he's just such a such a nice guy, not yeah. full of himself or anything like that. He's just, you know, he's been around forever too, and you you get some of those guys that have been around a long time, and they kind of they like to let you know. Mm. Bob's not the guy. Bob is such a gentleman. You know. Mm. Those those names those names that I just read out there they you know when they put pen to paper Bob William Mark Victor when they put pen to paper and and write a column you, you can you can take that as gospel can't you because I I've never once questioned anything they're the, probably the, some of the most reputable people in our industry aren't they and and when you read something from them you you take that as as gospel yeah look um. Boogie Porker, whose his, uh, real name is Noel Tucky. Mm. His, uh, his brother was the editor of Wheels Magazine for a long time. Yep. But Noel has been a mechanic like before Moses was a boy. Mm. <laughs> has seen and done everything. And yep. uh, until very recently, still worked on vintage race cars. Like, yep. And the knowledge of this guy. And it goes back to that time when if you couldn't go down the shops and go to the speed shop and buy a bearing for this or, you know, um, or a bracket for that or whatever. They just made everything and just could mm. fabricate everything. And that kind of knowledge is amazing. And like we work with a lot of really smart young guys, like really young, like uh, Adam at MPW and, um, and Zane at Max. Oh, they're young fellas. Like they're, mm. they're not even 30 yet, I don't think. Well, Adam is just over, like he's kind of early 30s. Zane is, just, is under 30. Um, you know, and they're amazing talents and uh, their knowledge is just, and Zane's knowledge on barriers is unparalleled. There's no doubt about yeah. it. And same with Adam with LSs and just, you know, performance cars in general. Adam is an amazing car builder. I mean, he's built some killer cars. And, you know, these guys, as Simon said, they're not, like I'm 50. Simon's just not quite 50, you know. So we're all 
<laughs> I guess where I was going with that is these guys are very talented, but they have access to technology, yeah, and gear and parts that Noel and Victor, like when Victor started yeah. and Bob started, could not have dreamed of. Like mm. you think when Victor put his fifty-seven together with nitrous first, he used nitrous from a guy called Bob Hamilton in uh, Queensland. One of the he's an industrial chemist. He makes. He makes uh, flavors for like KFC and, and stuff like that. Queenslanders and industrial chemists. Well, yeah, we, we were uh, up there, didn't we? <laughs> not that kind of chemistry. Anyway, he, he, he was really into drag racing. He invented one of the first traction compounds that was on the market and then the first uh, nitrous systems. And yeah, Victor used to, being a, a farmer, used to leave boxes and boxes of veggies on this guy's doorstep to pay for the nitrous that he was using. Yeah. He just, you know, put it on the bill and uh, you're paying back in veggies. But, you know, they were, they had obviously had speed shops back there, but nothing like we had now. And you certainly couldn't, you know, get parts overnight from the States or, you know, yeah. and now. And so the welders we, ha we have now and the gear that, like the amazing fabrication that Adam and his crew do, mm. yeah, you couldn't do that back in the day without the gear that we have today. Yeah, yeah, well, most certainly. Look at this thing behind me. I mean, the welder that I'm using now from Heron Forbes is just amazing. And it's not a like a mega dollar deal. Now, I had a cheap, like an inexpensive sort of home welding setup that I bought way back in the day. And it was a piece of crap. Like I spent good money on it, mm. but it was kind of like this was, oh, this is what you need for, you know, working on cars at home. And I couldn't do crap with that. This thing, like... I'm confident enough that I'm replacing quarters. I'm doing mini tubs right now in this thing. You know, like the welders are so good now and um, it gives me confidence to actually get in there and do it. And I'm not a professional by any means. So, yeah. you know, if I can do it, pretty much anyone can do it, to be honest. Mm. Um, yep. I do get that a lot from a lot of guys like, oh, you've inspired me to go off and do this. And I'm sometimes I go, oh, geez, um, <laughs> what have I done? You know, so, yeah. <laughs> But that's a good Certainly. thing, Scotty. I mean, I, I, I think that's an, that's, it doesn't matter. I think that's a good thing, no matter what, if you're, if you, if we're, if your magazine or your media uh, has the ability to inspire people and do, and do stuff like this, I, I can't see that being a bad thing at all. No, no, it's a good hobby and it's a good way to, you know, involve your family. Um, you know, it's a great sport for that. You know, um, yeah. if you can grow up amongst cars and, going to race meetings or going out on cruises and hanging out with other car families. I think that's an awesome way to grow up. Mm, no, most definitely. Mm. Most definitely. Well, a couple more questions for you guys. One, one that I was one of my first questions that I wrote out, I put it near the end of the interview was like, uh, give us both of you, give us your favorite. It might be difficult to answer this one, but give us your favorite street machine of the year. If you can. I'll go first because I know my answer. Um, <laughs> so it's Colin Townsend's FJ Holden, and I'm a bit biased. I'm an FJ Holden guy. If you don't know that car, it's black. It has pumped guards. I don't mean flared guards. I mean widened like that. Um, the wheels on them, I think they were fitted to the current model Lamborghini at the time, so super wide. Mm. I think, think it had three-piece Simmons on it and was built like a sports sedan. So stroked Holden V8. Quad Webbers set right back, like halfway into the into the cabin. Big recess firewall, top loader, massive. Like the seats, I sit. You know, you sit further back in the car. I've driven the car. I've been really um, 
fortunate to have driven that particular car. And it was the first Pro Tourer, or one of the first Pro Tourers. There's a few guys who had that idea that you don't have to build a drag-inspired street machine. You can, you can do a circuit-inspired street machine. Mm. So Craig Parker with Tough, Tough XY, Mark Sanders with his cars, uh, Trana Monaro, and this FJ were amongst the first ones. You can make a car that stops and goes and handles. And that's what uh, Colin Townsend's FJ was. And I've driven the thing, and it is like FJs are made out of cat food tins. They are very <laughs> flimsy old cars that had uh, you know, 100, 100 horsepower or 130 horsepower. Maybe not even. I can't remember. I think you're upselling them, mate. I don't think they're yeah, that much. No, that 132 <laughs> cubes. But to make one that is like virtually a race car with number plates is a massive achievement, especially back in the early 90s. He's yeah. one of the pioneers of sort of cat design and getting at that time south australian rego was a bit like wa rego super hard to get engine you know wild cars engineered but they, those boys got it done so yeah that's absolutely one of my favorites but i've got to love adam abreze's eh being a yeah being a uh a whole guy amazing another amazing car like he's talk about guys inspired just to have a go he was a bobcat driver and a skateboarder and a dirt bike guy his missus was studying uh to be a she ended up being a, a, a principal of a, a, a big high school principal. And she was studying and he was annoying her. And she was like, go and do something. So he restored an EH first. And then he got the taste for cars and had never, never touched a spanner before, never touched a welder before. And then started reading about Chip Foose and Troy Trepania and built that EH delivery in his backyard in far North Queensland, painted it in his backyard and one street machine of the year and set him off on a whole different career. So yeah, yeah. that's what's going to happen, Scotty. Watch out. You might inspire. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if I didn't get to that stage, but Tough XY, Craig's Tough XY, it was always something like, you know, especially like that late 80s and just seeing a car like that where you've seen so many drag-inspired cars come through the magazine. And I love drag racing. Don't get me wrong. I'm a drag mm. racer. But seeing a car like Craig's Tough XY, you know, those amazing fat custom wheels on them the pump guards and the just that brilliant red color it was just such a brilliant fantastic car i just loved it and you know not even knowing that you know later on in life i would actually become friends with craig parker we're mates you know so yeah, okay. it's, it's just it's crazy you know how life goes and yeah yeah, it's just one of those things. But, yeah, it's always been a car I've been super appreciative of. I love the build of it. And how, what a, sort of a, how different and groundbreaking the car was at the time, you know. Mm. Just people weren't building cars like that. And that's why I think Craig won that, you know, pretty convincingly. You know, it's just an amazing car. How yeah, about you guys? Well, that's actually, it's an interesting question you ask because I actually had, I wrote down here, for my pick was actually, Craig Parker's XY, Tough XY, was actually my number two. My number one, actually, and I'm a Ford man, but my number one was our Bundy Lucas's HQ Monaro. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that really, when that came out, that really left a mark on me personally. Yeah. And, and I, I, yeah, I still think that's number one. But Craig's XY, because I'm a Ford man, I think, as well, that that's a that's a strong number two for me. As I, at my twenty first, I actually had that 
you know, you put photos of, of, you know, yourself. I actually put Craig Parker's ex-wife. That's awesome. I actually had that printed in A3 and that was the centerpiece. Even It wasn't even my car, but wow. you know, people that knew me knew that I, you know, I was, I was a Ford man and yeah, I had Craig Parker's ex-wife front and center about 21st. So, Fantastic. but yeah. But yeah, to me, Al Lucas, Al Bundy Lucas is um, HQ for certain. You know, so for myself, I um, was actually trying to find a magazine, but I couldn't find it. I'm going to go back. It was probably the late 90s, early 2000s. There was a VK Calais actually owned by a school teacher. It was in the uh, VL Midnight Blue, and he'd smoothed all the lines out of it. I remember it clearly. I can remember it by the photo of it in my head. And I remember that, again, he apparently started from almost nowhere and just started building this VK. And now it's actually making me want to try and find a VK. I think I've missed yeah, my okay. window, unfortunately. Huh. But I, I can see it's, it stuck out to me. I can see the picture in my head. I can see it driving down that, that road, all the lines taken out. He took the rain gutter guards out. Like, it was just lots of body work, but it just it worked. Like It looked amazing and stood out. And I haven't really seen anything since. So that, for me, was the standout. Also, anything Valiant Chrysler, anything Charger, Pretty much for me is, yeah, hey Charger. Well, like, yeah, there you go. You guys, uh, you guys know Cassie Rhodes over there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Cassie came very close to winning Street Machine of the Year in her uh, E55 one year. We have had one female Street Machine of the Year winner, which was uh, Angela Dow's Dow LX hatch. Mm. Yeah, Cassie came pretty close. Yeah, that's an awesome car, and she still takes her kids to school in it. Yeah, yeah, once yeah, in a yeah. while. No, that's a, it is a magnificent car. Speaking of those, those, our, our co-host, I'll, I'll preface this question. Our co-host, Simon Travellini, he's unable to compete in a blown, in a blown vehicle on a Wednesday night. Mm. In essence, do you think the quintessential street machine is no longer a blown vehicle? And if so, what, what is the quintessential street machine? I think still it's quintessentially the blown car is the, you know, when you think street machine, you think 671, 871 through the bonnet, you know, that is quintessential street machine. But, I mean, when it comes to actually fast street cars now, twin turbos, they're all the way, isn't it? I mean, look at how many amazing twin turbo cars there are now and how many seriously fast, you know, seven-second street cars there are. I mean... You know, I mean, you've got John Ferrone over there. He's mm. charged. He's amazing. Done drag week seven times. You know. Um, Eddie yeah, Tassoni as well. Eddie Tassoni, he's done some amazing Commodore stuff. Like oh, that gold car from way back, mm. you know, when it was on the cover of the magazine. And just, you know, I used to be there. I was working with Street Commodores at the time that he was winning Horsepower Heroes over here at Summonats. You know, so I'd be there standing there like, 10 feet from the car when it's on the dyno with a video camera filming that for street Commodore's videos, yep. you know, and you'll see some of the street machine coverage of that car back then. And you'll see Scotty standing there with a video camera filming. <laughs> all that, and I'm there in the middle of the street machine pictures. Um, yeah. So, you know, Look, I think yeah. uh, in terms of like whether, you know, who should be allowed to race on Wednesday night, I think, you know, they've got a pick. doesn't matter what engine it is. If, their cutoff is 10 seconds or nine seconds or seven seconds. Mm. Just, you know, make, pick a cutoff and go with it. It's up to, yeah. it doesn't really matter whether it's turbo or blown. 
But uh, well, they just had Red Center at Snell Springs, and the grand champion of that was a E.H. Holden, and it's pretty much like a regular streetcar, except it has a blown uh, 871 blown small block on E85. He can drive that car to the shops. He uses it for formals and things like that. Runs 10 flats, and uh, the to win grand champion, you've got to drag it, you've got to motor car it, you've got to grass drive it, and he just smashed all those in this car, mm. and it just hop in, out, in, out, doesn't get hot, throw the keys to anybody. And so, you know, I think, you know, a blown car can be still totally relevant. And we have them on Drag Challenge. We've had at least a, two or three on Drag Challenge that do all of Drag Challenge with a 671 through the bonnet. Yeah. Cops don't even look at them. Um, mm. Some guys have blowers, take them off, race, put them back on. But, uh, you know, if you've if you got the balls to do it, why not? Yeah. Clyde Boladano with his, old, his blue HZ Holden, you know, 671 through the bonnet, the entire drag challenge. And he's the nicest, happiest guy. Or he's smiling the entire time. Like, drag challenge is hard. There is no doubt about it. And Clive has just got a smile from ear to ear the entire week, driving around with a 671 out of his bonnet. Like, yeah, like, it's just amazing. Such a cool thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's still a place for blowing cars. There's no doubt about it. It's a little bit harder than it was. There's no doubt. But uh, let, let's face it, it's never really been easy for blowing cars. No. Um, that's but, what makes it cool. That's, yeah. that's exactly like, right. You know, Phil Rolotta and his LC Toronto, the Raging Bull Toronto. It's like, you know, if you've mm. got the balls to drive a, a basically a wild bunch car on the street, well, more power to you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But you guys, what do you guys have? Well, obviously, this one is actually one of mine. This isn't actually a carnage car. It's like we do it for carnage, but it is. This is my car. Like, And then I've got another wagon that I've just pushed outside, a Hemi yeah. 6 wagon that I pushed outside. Uh, so give me a bit more room in here today. Um, yeah. I've also got another Valiant Ute that my father left me that um, before he passed away. So... It's in the Carnage Workshop at the moment and it's getting a, a really tough little 318 small block. So, okay. so I'll, I, I play with everything, Holden Ford and whatever, but um, my passion is these kind of mm. late 60s, early 70s valiants, you know. So. Yep, yep. That's oh, cool. I'm actually we're still recording, so I haven't I haven't hit the stop button yet. Actually, so <laughs> it's no big deal. This can go in. We can I can I can make it sound like it was part of the podcast. No drama. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm a Holden guy, so my, I've got a HZ one tonner, and I've got my EJ Holden, which unfortunately had a big prang oh. a couple of years ago. So that's kind of very very sad. Uh, I'm kind of too traumatized to do anything with it so it's just oh, sitting yeah. there well i think about what to do and i've got an old triumph motorbike like a 71 trumpy oh awesome and a drag race fx holden um when i get to queensland my old man owns that like it's a okay. gas gasser type thing yeah but what my true love is the Renault clio which is our, our <laughs> budget little um budget <laughs> little thing we built or sort of yeah. got for ken to can so ken could have his own project as yeah. a bit of a they have a series here called the Nugget Nationals, which is for 1.5 and under little shitters, just as a real budget motorsport. And yeah, when he's not racing that, I drive that every day and uh, it's a great little roller skate. I love it. Okay. Nice. <laughs> that is, yeah. They are pretty cool, the little Cleos. Yeah. We don't have to, it's like, no, it's a car you don't have to worry about. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> if it gets stolen, who cares? If it gets 
rolled in. Uh, who cares? Uh, it's uh, it we cost us very little to buy, and has been for a French car has been very reliable. Just yeah. and yeah, has been right. done lap after lap after lap with uh, young Ken behind the wheel, and uh, is uh, is hanging in there. Hey, look, guys, look, I know it's getting late over there, so we'll, we'll wrap this one up. I know it's 9, 9 p.m. over there, and we really appreciate you taking your own time to, to do this interview. Just quickly, Street Machine Magazine, available. Now, this is the other thing, available at every single outlet Australia-wide. I don't know. I've never been to somewhere that sells magazines that doesn't have Street Machine. So if they sell magazines, they've got Street Machine, pretty Generally. much. That, yeah. Yeah, I've never, especially in Western Australia, I can vouch for that. So every month, head to your news agents or retailer as well and get your Street Machine magazine. Now, your digital content, that's available at www.whichcar.com.au. That's a great platform as well, I must say. From that's, is that still Bauer Media? Is that- yeah, we, we got bought out. We've got new owners. We've, got, we've been, this is probably my fourth set of owners. Yep. The time I've been there, so we've got a owned by an Australian company now, which is really good, called Mercury Capital. So we're going to have a new name. We haven't got a new name yet, but it is coming. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. Street Machine stays the same. Um, it just gets more and more tentacles spread out more and more across the internet. Yeah, yeah. And for those people that are listening to us, head to that website because it is an amazing website. It's not just Street Machine. There's a whole lot of other publications there and, and a whole lot of content uh, if you are looking at buying a new car as well. I think it's an hmm. absolutely great website. You've done a magnificent job there. Okay, guys. Well, look, thanks for, thanks for your time. We'll let you wrap this one up and uh, we really appreciate your time on coming on the podcast. Mate, we were stoked to be invited. It was awesome. We love you, love your show, and uh, we love listening to Boris the other day. And that you know it was it was really, really, really cool. So yeah, thanks for having us. Nah, no dramas. All right, guys. Thanks for that. Yeah, thanks, thanks Scotty. Thanks, Telfo. We really appreciate. No it. No worries. Say good day to Simon. I hope he feels better. Yeah, no, nah, we will do. Thanks for that. No Talk and power your motorsport and motoring radio show now on eighty-eight point five FM. The valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au.